0: If you have your Bible, I invite you to 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, We're going to start in chapter 21. Um, 1 Samuel 21. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one of those. If you uh, need to borrow one, you can borrow that one of those. Uh, if you need to have one with you because you don't have a uh, Bible that you can read and understand easily, feel free to take that with you. It is our gift um, to you. Uh, today, as I said, we're talking about the desert, and I don't know what you, comes to your mind when you think about desert. It could be Sahara, full-on dunes, and camels and hoping for an oasis. Uh, if you grew up in the mountains, maybe you're thinking high desert, uh, so it's more rocky and mountainy and uh, just arid dry. Um, today, and, and I, I say that those two things look very different, and your desert may look different than the person sitting next to you. I, I want to just say that out loud to say, hey, just because you're going through something, you um, And they may be going through something, and they may look different, but we can still see that, hey, man, this is a dry, hard, often lonely place. And so uh, I want to just say that out loud as we get started here. As we uh, um, think about the desert, I want to try to describe it today and use three words. And the first word is the word desolation, desolation. The desert is desolation, a place of desolation. Uh, When you, you hear the word desolation, like what's the first thing that comes to mind? Here's somebody from this far section over here near the coffee and the donuts, y'all are awake enough, you got coffee and donuts. Desolation, what's the first word, first picture, first whatever. Lonely. Uh, Let's go to the other extreme, all the people who are asleep, because they're far away from coffee and donuts. Anybody? Over in this section, desolation. Very barren, not just barren, very barren, yeah. Um, So, And that can express itself in a number of different ways. We'll try to uh, look at how that expresses itself in David's life. The thing that I want you to know about desolation, though, uh, when it comes to the desert, is this is the thing. that The desert is the thing that oftentimes strips everything else away from us. We're not just barren. We're very barren. We're not just lonely, we're very lonely, okay? And so uh, this is the thing that pulls all that stuff away. So here in chapter 21, as I said, I just wanna try to describe all of this uh, and the way that you know that there's desolation at work in your life. Um, Anybody ever been on crutches before? You know, you're hobbling around. Imagine you have both broken all sorts of things from hips down, like everything's broken, um, and somebody comes and takes your crutches away. And you're like, (laughs) and you feel like any breath is going to make you go down. That's what desolation kind of feels like, and that's what we'll see in David. Chapter 21, um, starting in verse 10, we'll see that first, one of the things uh, that gets stripped away from David's life, and maybe your life too, is this sense of dignity. Um, David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Can we just pause right there? Achish, king of where? Gath. Anybody else from Gath. Goliath was from Gath. Hmm. Okay. Keep reading. Verse 11, And the servants of Achish said to him, is, this, is not this David the king of the land? And did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David's his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish the king of Gath. So he changed, don't miss this, he changed his behavior before them. He pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Is that weird to you? That's weird to me. So David, anointed king of Israel, going to be the next king, he shows up in Gath, the hometown of the giant that he took out, and they start talking like, hey, isn't this David? Isn't he the guy who whipped our giant? And everybody's like, yeah, that is David. And David's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he starts drooling on himself. That's messed up right there. And then he walks over to the doorpost and yeah, yeah, yeah. just odd. He's lost all sense of dignity, all sense of self respect, all sense of self worth. And for some, uh, for some, it's the physical indignity that is harder to lose. For some, it's kind of that social indignity uh, that's harder to lose. Uh, if you want to know how, which one's harder for you uh, in, in your mind, which one do you uh, fear the most? Like, you know, being in the hospital bed or having people know that you're in the hospital bed? I mean, which, which one goes for you? Like, how, how does that, which way does that break? One of those matters more to you than the other, but both of them signal that the desert is the place of desolation and dignity is on the way out the door. Uh, you may not be drooling in your beard. It'd be weird if you did, but you may not be drooling in your beard or scratching at the doorpost. But uh, when we hit the desert, dignity often is left behind. Continue on. Oh, let's just pause here. Verse 14, Achas said to his servants, I love his response, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought them to me? And if you're in a uh, supervisory role, like you're the boss of somebody, maybe you could just have this as a saying. Verse 15, Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman to me also in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? I just think that's funny. He's like, Don't I have enough crazy people around here? Do you need to be here too? 22 verse 1, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam, not only dignity but also home, this sense of belonging, this place where he uh, felt like he belonged, and, and he didn't just lose physical home, he lost some of the relational ties too. Remember, he, because he had defeated the giant uh, Goliath, he was given the king's daughter, and so he got to live in the palace as a son-in-law to the king, all of this kind of stuff, and now where does he end up? In the cave. Uh, palace, cave, palace, cave. This is a very different experience. And it, it, again, it can be uh, this kind of uh, relational or it can be physical or some sense of both. You've got a, uh, a house that you love and you had to move away from, or you got friends that you love and you had to move away from, or both of those maybe happened at the same time. Whatever it may be. The desert often strips away this sense of belonging, this sense of home. Turn the page, if you will, to chapter 23. Some of you may not have to turn the page, but this is chapter 23. I'll give you a brief breakdown of, of this. Uh, David goes to the city of Keilah. It's under siege. He saves the city of Keilah. Yeah, David, the conquering, awesome king to be. Um, he, he's doing this. And then uh, Saul hears that David is at Keilah, and look at what happens. We're going to start in verse 10. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah, Uh, to Keilah. Was that funny to anybody else with me? I was just reading along and it sounded funny to me. We'll Bleep that out of the recording, I guess. Verse 11. Will the the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Verse 12. Then David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. David's here. Save the city. Saul's going to come down. God, is Saul going to come down? Yes, he's going to come down. Will these guys hand me over? Yes, they're going to hand me over. So he gets up and gets out of town. This sense of reward. The desert is the place where oftentimes the sense of reward also goes. It's this place where, hey, I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was doing it for the right reason. I thought I was helping out. And still there's no recognition. There's no reward. There's no attaboy. There's no nothing. All I get is betrayal by these people. Anybody had that before? The desert exposes oftentimes, this desolation um, exposes in us that sense of entitlement to, I worked hard, I did the thing, I was the major player in the group project, I was the one who drove this project, I was the one who did the thing, I was the one who, who moved, this, moved the ball down the field, and yet so-and-so is taking credit. Now nobody ever has that at your work, I realize that. But just in case you do, if you ever want to know just how deeply entitlement is rooted in you, work really hard and then watch what your response is when somebody else gets credit for it. That's what happened to David, that sense of reward. I saved the city, guys. What? What are you? Why are you going to deliver me? Oh, we're out of here. The desert has a way of pulling that away from us. That sense, that need for self-respect and dignity, that, that need for belonging, a place to call home, that need for recognition, all of it is getting stripped away. And if a few more pages to the right in chapter 27. David left Achish and Gath, but now in chapter 27, he comes back. And that's that's a stripping away. That's a that's a the desolation uh, is pulling away pride, that sense of security that comes from here. I am. I know who I am. I know what I'm doing. All of that gets pulled away in the desert. In chapter 27, he goes back to the Philistines and look at verse five. Then David said to Achish, "If I found favor in your eyes, let a a place be given me in one of the country towns." that uh, that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city? Do you see all of this, what happened? Okay, David goes back, and then he's begging for a place. Now, previously, he's conquered just about every place that he's been. Why couldn't he just go claim one? He's begging for a place. Then he says, why should your servant, whose servant is he? He calls himself the servant of Achish, the king of Geth, dwell in the royal city. He's a king to be. Why shouldn't he dwell in the royal seat? All the pride's gone. All of it. God uses the desert to destroy pride in us. Um, Why would the anointed king of Israel flee and then bunk with the sworn enemy of Israel? Um, This is not obviously a good decision. uh, We're not saying it's a good decision at all. Instead, we're saying that it's a a decision that reflects that this pride is being just jerked out of him painfully so. He even, later in the chapter, he even lies to cover his tracks. He goes and he raids one town, and when he, hey, what you been doing? Oh, I went and raided this other town over here. I mean, just pride's gone. Here's the thing about that, and I want you to catch this. God is willing to expose pride in our lives through some terrible circumstances. Why? Because he hates pride and its effects so much, and because he loves us so much. Can I say that one more time? God is willing to expose pride in our lives through terrible circumstances like David because he hates pride and its effects and because uh, uh, he loves us so much. Pride, if you will, is kind of spiritual cancer and God's not willing to tolerate that inside of us not only because he hates that why, why, why does the Bible say later in First Peter chapter five, God opposes opposes the proud, but He gives grace to them? Why does He do that? Because He hates pride and its effects, and He loves us. He doesn't want to want us to have to live with that kind of thing growing inside of our souls. That's a thing that um, will continually be a point of separation between us and Him, and God's not going to do that. So, well, I mean. What does that look like? Well, I'm such a great parent, all you dads. I'm such a great parent. I'm such, I like, this is great. Pride in your kids. And I mean, five minutes later, your kid comes in and does what? Breaks something, embarrasses you, comes in, you know, having done something dumb. Anybody had that before? you just bragging about how great a dad you are. And then you're like, oh, maybe I'm not. <laughs> okay. Uh, hey, look at all the great things that I've accomplished. No, no, no. You go through your list of accomplishments. And then the very next thing you try, you do what? Fail. Uh, man, I've done everything right in my life. You know, I live this way and walk this way and do this and thing, and then something happens, and you figure out that, oh, this was not. You find yourself in the bottom of a pit. Oh, man, I, I've spent my life collecting knowledge and you know, going through all this, and then you figure out, man, everything that I knew is not so important after all. Oh, I've got these friends, and I've got this influence, and then all of a sudden you're a pariah to them. Over and over and over, we could, I mean, we could go through a 100 different scenarios. The thing is, God is willing to use um, the desert to expose pride in us because he hates pride and its effects. The terrible circumstances that you may find yourself in, he is using to expose pride because he hates pride and its effects and, listen, because he loves you. Don't forget that, because he loves you. It's a place of desolation. Secondly, it's a place of preparation because God doesn't just do demo day he also does full-on remodels like he's renovating you and me he's transforming us and now you can't have one without the other that is true Um, but we do have to have demo day and then God can go to work so it's not only a place where God is pulling things out stripping things away it's a place where he's building some things in to David's life and into your life so I want to say this just hear this please Point one might not have been encouraging. I feel like I'm in the desert, and you just described my life. Good. I mean that, good. Why? Because that means God's at work, because he's preparing you for something. This is a point two. Don't miss it. Um, we had to back up now to chapter 22. We kind of took a run through part of the story, and then we'll take a run here as well. Chapter 22, we read this verse, uh, verse one. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam, and... If you're escaping to a cave, who do you want showing up? Exactly nobody, right? That's why you went to the cave. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there with him. What? I thought I was going to a cave. Why are you guys here as well? Who wants your family to show up in the middle of your problems? I mean, like that's verse 2. Not just family, though. It would be great if maybe possibly if it were just family, and everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul or discontented. Doesn't that sound like a party in a cave? That's awesome. Great. I'm here. I'm trying to process what's going on in my life. Oh, good. My family has shown up. Oh, great. Here's all the miscreants of society. Welcome, everybody. And he became a a commander over them, and they were with him, because this isn't just four of them. Look, it's 400 of them. Here's what God was preparing David to do. He was learning to lead a diverse people. Those in debt, everyone who was discontented, bitter in soul, those who were in distress, and these 400 people became the core of his fighting men that that lead him ultimately um, to the throne and stay by his side throughout. He was God was preparing David by learning, by helping him to to lead, learn to lead a diverse people. Let me ask you a question. Uh, When he becomes king, we'll look at this next week. When he becomes king in a few chapters, do you think he's going to need some skills in leading a diverse people? Anybody? You think? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. And so God's using that now in the cave, in the desert, to prepare him for what was to come. We'll talk, I'll say this again in just a moment. If you're in the desert right now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've sinned and done something wrong. It could very well be that God's preparing you, building a skill in you now for later. He learns to lead diverse people, something that was needed down the road. Um, the second thing it comes later in chapter 22. I'll just briefly uh, describe it to you. Uh, he goes through a, a city called Nob, um, and he uh, is fed there, and he goes on about his way. Uh, Saul comes through, looks at the priests uh, who fed him and said, hey, did you help David? Yes, we helped David. And Saul goes, let's slaughter them all. Because you're against me and for David. Uh, Here's what I I just want to point out. Everybody wants to be a leader until the consequences of leadership start settling down on them. Have you noticed this? Like everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's tweeting or Facebooking or Snapchatting, all of this stuff. But when you say, hey, great, so let's get out there and do this. They're like, "Nah, man, I'm good. I'm good. I'll just sit here with an opinion and a keyboard. Everybody wants to be a leader until the consequences of that leadership actually come down on them. And here's the thing: David began then to feel the consequence of leadership. David, through Nob, being helped, sent along the way, Saul comes along, he um, uh, confirms that they helped, and then he slaughters uh, uh, the, the, um, the priests and ultimately the whole town, which, by the way, is ironic, because what, why did Saul lose his kingship in the first place? Because he wouldn't destroy a town. Now, instead of destroying a town of the enemies, he's destroying a town. Of the Israelites. That's not good. And David feels the consequence of this. One of the guys escapes, if you will, look back at verse 19. I'm sorry, down to verse 19. 22, verse 19. And Nob, the city of priests, he put to the sword. He wouldn't do it with the other, but he does it here. Both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, sheep, he put to the sword. Uh, verse 20, but one of the sons of a, of a <clears throat> excuse me, one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped And fled to David, told him the story. And David just feels the weight of this. Hey dads, let's feel the weight of the things that God's given us to do. In order to be prepared for the things that he wants us to do down the road. Again, turn the page if you will. David finds something else in, in chapter 23. Look down at verse 15. Chapter 23, verse 15, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and he was in the wilderness of Zeph at Horish. and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. What? Just pause right there. What kind of humility on Jonathan's part does it take? Hey, I'm the rightful heir to the throne, but I know that you're going to be next and I want you to know I'm going to be right there with you, bud. I'm with you in that. Saul, my father, also knows this in verse 18, and the two of them made a covenant uh, before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home. One of the things that David found in the wilderness and how he prepared him in the wilderness was he had this sense of what true friendship really was. If you lead, there are times when um, people you think are your friends are not your friends. In this case, Jonathan was a true friend. He would never actually see David become king. Spoiler alert there that uh, Jonathan died on the battlefield before David became king, but he was with him. He was with him. And you want to know what true friendship looks like. True friendship looks like, hey, I'm coming out to you in the wilderness. I'm coming out to you in the desert. I see all of the darkness around you. I see all of the ugliness around you. I see all the loneliness and desolation. I see all of that kind of stuff. And I'm coming out to you. David knows, excuse me, God knows that David will need true friends. He's trying to give him a picture of what that really looks like. A friend of mine calls them the pallbearers. Those people who are going to be with you, quite literally, to the end. <clears throat> true friendship. Jonathan's not trying to fix anything. He's not trying to make it better. He's wrapping his arms around and going, hey, I'm with you in this. I'm with you in this. And I see you, and I see the stuff that you're in, and I just want you to know I am with you in this. That's a true, uh, that's a true friend. Lastly, and I will say that those who meet you will meet you in the desert um, are probably your truest friends. Lastly, uh, in the next chapter, uh, chapter 24, two times actually in the next three chapters, in 24 and 26, David has an opportunity to kill Saul, and he doesn't. Chapter 26 is one instance, chapter 24, the one we're going to look at. Uh, this will make a funny story for all the kids to sit up and pay attention. Saul the king had to go to the bathroom. So he slips into a cave to take care of his business. David's in the cave watching Saul go to the bathroom. (laughs) Slips up behind Saul with a knife and cuts a little piece off of his robe. Saul finishes his business, flushes or whatever he does and walks out of the cave, gets a little bit farther down. David comes out behind him like, Saul, I got your robe. You know, he doesn't quite do it in that. There's actually some contrition because his men were cheering him on, hey, go, go finish this. David's response was, I'm not touching the Lord's anointed. I, I'm willing to wait. God's got Saul. I don't have to take that into my own hands. Twice, chapter 24, chapter 26, he has an opportunity to kill Saul and assume the kingship. Jonathan was going to be right with him. He was going to have the blessing of the royal family. Jonathan was going to be with him. Guess what? He didn't do it. Why? Because he was willing to wait on God's timing. David, in, in what he learned and what he got in the middle of that was clarity. So in chapter 24, uh, David calls out to Saul, Hey, Saul, I've got your robe here. piece of your robe. And verse 16. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how um, how you have dealt with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. Don't miss verse 19. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So, that, so may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Here's the clarity that David got in that moment right there. Saul consistently saw David as his enemy. So he says, if, if you find your enemy, what's he say? If a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? And David's answer was, I never found my enemy. David saw, saw Saul not as his enemy, but as the king, he was going destined by God, anointed by God to replace, but not his enemy. Saul is the one who couched it in terms of enemy. David never saw Saul as, as his enemy. That's an important thing to get clear on because there are people in your life, whether it's your neighbor, a family member, a friend, who are, there are people in your life who have this sense of, golly, they, this feels like opposition. What you and I need to get clear on is this. That, there's nobody, according to Ephesians 6, there's nobody with flesh and blood. We wrestle, Paul says, not against flesh and blood, but against powers and rulers and forces of darkness. There's nobody with skin on, folks, who's actually our enemy. We have an enemy, that's true. But it's not, it's not anybody with skin on. That's one of the things that you learn in the desert, is you get clarity and you are prepared uh, to do good even in the middle of, of, of an opportunity uh, to, to kind of move the story along. You're willing to do good or to be patient because you have that clarity. So one more time, just because you're in the middle of testing does not mean that God has left you, that you're in sin, or that he's angry at you. It could very well be preparation. Could you be in the desert because of your sin? Yes, you could. Sometimes God puts us there, puts us in timeout. Sometimes, though, God takes us there in order to prepare us. I'll tell you, one of the scariest verses in the New Testament for me. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, scary. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, the desert, to be tempted by the devil. Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Why? For preparation for what was to come preparation for what was to come. Just because you're there. Some of you feel that way right now. Oh, golly, it's desert. I don't see God's hand at work. I don't see preparation at work. I don't see, uh, all I see is stripping away and pulling away. Listen, God very well may be preparing you for something down the road, and you're not alone in that. You're not alone in that. Last, Last thing, quickly. The desert is a place of desolation, yes. It's a place of preparation, can be, certainly, yes. But also, it's a place of providence, so we got to skip a few chapters over to chapter twenty-nine, and I'll just give you a brief run-up on this story. Um, David uh, moves to uh, um, Ziklag, and uh, there with the king of Achish and you know the king of Gath, or excuse me, Achish, the king of Gath. Um, he's going through all of this stuff, and and the Philistines are getting ready to go out to war against the Israelites, and David's gearing his men up. He's like, "This is what we do. Let's go fight." The the rulers of the Philistines come to um, Achish and they say, hey man, we ain't fighting with David. Why not? He's been faithful to me all. Yeah, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. Why? Because he's going to turn on us in the middle of the battle. That's what's going to happen. We don't trust him. So we'll pick up the response here just briefly uh, in in verse 7 of chapter 29. So go back now And go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistine. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Verse 9, and Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go with us. go go up with us in a battle and then David it says moves on the desert is sometimes the place of providence and when I mean that here's what I mean Um, that God spared David from writing an end to his own story if David had gone to war against the Israelites would the Israelites have ever had him as king no way no way and sometimes because we hate the timing, sometimes because we hate the circumstances, sometimes because we hate the, 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 the situation that we find ourselves in, the relationship that we find ourselves in, sometimes we take our pen and put it to the paper and we're like, we're going to write the end of this story and it's going to be done. And God will then some grab us, supplant just. <laughs> right there in the desert why because providentially in his providence in his care for us he's taking care of us he's sparing us from things that we may not know he's not going to let us write the end of the of the story in the way that we want to he's going to write the end of the story in the way that he is going to if he marches if david marches out against israel it's over there's no king there's no kingdom no kingship and and um David, no doubt. You and I also, no doubt. God, why in the world are you allowing this? Why is this happening? It could very well be that he's sparing you from writing. You do not know what he's sparing you from, and you don't know what he's preparing you for. So that's why I want to leave this, with this final thought. Um, There was a Friday about a thousand years later, maybe a little bit longer, a thousand and some change. Where 11 guys stood up and looked at a cross where their leader was hanging. God, why in the world are you allowing this? And what? Because he was sparing them from something, the penalty of their sins. And he was preparing them for something. To see the world change and to be a part of that. You never know what God is doing. So you just continue to trust him and follow him into the things that you know you're supposed to be doing. You don't pick up the pen and write your own story. You continue to trust him to write the end to yours. I'm going to give you a second to pray and we'll dismiss here in just a moment. But if you need to kind of gather your things or settle yourself, and then let's bow our heads and just have a moment to reflect. Because my guess is is that some of us are feeling the weight of this Desert kind of season. It may be arid. It may be dry. It may be marked by insecurity or frustration or disappointment or shame. If, if you would describe yourself as that, just take one of those three big headings there. It's the place of desolation, it's the place of preparation. And it's the place of providence where God's sparing you, protecting you from something. Express whatever's in your heart to God. God, I'm not just lonely. I'm very lonely. It doesn't feel just barren. It feels very barren. You give yourself to that. Put that before God. He knows anyway. You might as well tell him. Father for all of us who are experiencing this desert season would you use David to encourage us and remind us that we're never alone in it you've been through this too and we're not alone right now Um, give us insight give us courage to name what needs to be named and to do what needs to be done it's merciful enough for me to pray this for us as a church family. God, don't let us out until you're done with us. We don't want to have to come back in. Finish the work that you started. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.